Welcome home. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends. Dr. Sammy and friends are resting this week and will return next week. However, we have a leader from our local church community giving today's message. I'm going to give you a moment to center yourself as we practice the rule of life. Some silence and solitude um, and really allow the presence of God to permeate this gathering. So welcome those joining us online and in person. Let's exhale all those ruminating automatic thoughts that are harassing our minds, especially in the season of mental health as we go into fall. Remember to bring it before the feet of the Lord. And let's inhale the presence of the living presence of God that promises as we supplicate our anxieties to him to create a fortress in our minds and our hearts. Sarah Young, Jesus Calling, October 9th. You've been on a long uphill journey and your energy is almost spent. Though you have faltered at times, you have not let go of my hand. I am pleased with your desire to stay close to me. There is one thing, however, that displeases me, your tendency to complain. You may talk to me as much as you like about the difficulty of the path we are following. I understand better than anyone else the stresses and the strains that have afflicted you. You can safely vent to me because talking to me about your tempers, your thoughts, and it helps you see things from my perspective. Complaining to others is another matter altogether. It opens the door to deadly sins such as self-pity and rage. Whenever you are tempted to grumble, come to me and talk it out. As you open up to me, I will put my thoughts in your mind and my song in your heart. All God's people pray. Amen. Let's welcome Stu to come and give us the word today. Okay, thank you, Doc. Okay. Speaking of things we uh, tend to complain about, how many of you guys enjoy going to work? One person. God bless you. When you think about it, we spend so much of our adult life at work. We spend probably more time at work than we do sleeping or even spending time with our families. When I think about um, a couple of years ago, I was working somewhere in the, uh, in the range of somewhere to 55 to 60 hours a week to say nothing about time spent getting to and from work. And I say, you know, 50 or 60 hours a week. And some people here are probably thinking, amateur, because they've been working even more than me. And that's unfortunately a reality for many of us when we're, uh, when we're very involved in our job. And we invest a lot into our careers. We invest a lot into our time at work, into our reputation at work, developing our friendships at work. And sometimes we have a healthy balance of it. Sometimes we know to set those boundaries. We know how to say no to more work. We know how to draw life from good friendships at work. And then sometimes it becomes a little bit toxic. It becomes a little bit of almost a addiction, spending more and more time starting to get more of our identity and more of what we think is our calling in our career or in our job. Um, for me personally, I know that part of God's plan for my life has been to work in the court system. I know that he has definitely used me to represent him there. I know that he has definitely used that job to grow me and sometimes to humble me. But I wouldn't really call that my calling. I wouldn't call that job specifically in and of itself for the purpose of working there my calling. And I think that a lot of people get that kind of confused when it comes to what a calling is. In a very modern mindset, we start to think about our career and our job as our calling. And sometimes, again, it gets a little bit toxic, it gets a little bit rough, because if we're in a career that we don't like or in a career that we felt like we've been pushed into, we start to really resent that, thinking that this is my calling and this is just, it is what it is and I'm stuck with it. 
And again, sometimes we have a healthier way of thinking about it. Sometimes we are able to step back about it. Sometimes we're able to rationalize it a little bit and be reasonable about it. Kind of like this thing, if we can put this up here. Let me see if I pronounce this correctly. Tolchanchi? I got it right? Hooray. For those of you guys that don't know what it is, that is a child's first birthday where you put the baby down and you put a whole bunch of toys in front of them and whatever that baby grabs, that is representing their destiny. And I think it's a wonderful, cute, and adorable tradition, but we're reasonable about it with our children. We say, you know what? If he grabs the $100 bill or she grabs the stethoscope, and that's not what they actually do in their life. Instead of being a doctor or a business person, they end up being an artist or whatever. We're not so upset about that. We're not gonna harass the kid about not fulfilling their call that they decided for themselves at one years old, right? But when we grow up, when we start to have a job, when we start to have a career, sometimes we don't have that same forgiveness for ourselves. We start to think, no, this is my call. I have to pursue this job. I have to work harder at it. I have to thrive in it because it's become my identity. It's become my call. It's become the thing that I'm supposed to do in life. But when you think about it in a faith context, when you think about it in a Christian context, God doesn't call us to a job for the sake of that job. He doesn't need us to be that doctor or that banker or that lawyer to revolutionize that industry because he's called us to that industry for that industry. Not to say that some of you guys won't do amazing things in your industry because we have a lot of smart people here, but the call is not to a position for the sake of that position. It's like I said the last time I was up here, and that's my main point for, to, to, <clears throat> excuse me, for today. God does not call us to a position, but he calls us to a purpose. He calls us to represent him well, to bring others into a relationship with him, to lead others into his house. That's what his call for us really is. And a job is really just something that we do in the midst of that. And that's what we're going to go into today. We're going to talk a little bit about Apostle Paul. We're going to talk about his job. And I'm betting that you guys didn't even think that he had a job, right? And it's really not even so much a job so much as his side hustle, but how he used that in the midst of his calling. And maybe for some of you guys, this will be some good news that you are not stuck in a job that you don't like because you think it's your calling. Again, God is not calling us to a job for the sake of a job. He can and he will use you wherever you go, wherever you work, if you just give him the room, if you give him the permission. Now, this is not to say that I want any of you guys to say, all right, I'm quitting my high-stress job, I'm getting something nice and easy to do, and I'm just going to live, you know, life, life's nice and simple. It doesn't exactly work like that. And if I tried to say that, I think I would have probably about a bazillion parents, including my own mom, coming down here to say, what in the heck is wrong with you? But anyway, let's go into this uh, passage from Acts. Let's look a little bit about Paul's life and see where we can kind of differentiate calling from career. And so we're going to read through this, uh, starting at verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. So I'm sure some of you are probably thinking, all right, Stu, this is four measly verses. What in the world can we possibly learn about calling and about jobs from these four verses? Well, as Paul was saying last week, um, Paul back there, not Apostle Paul, our Paul, we can't just look at little snippets from the Bible. We have to start to look at things in a totality. We have to start looking at the context. We have to start looking at the history of things. And that's what we're going to do today a little bit to get a little bit more of insight on who Paul and Aquila and Priscilla were and why this actually can speak to us about our jobs and our careers and our callings, which are all totally different things. So what do we know about Paul? What do we know about him? We know that he used to be called Saul. We know that he, used, he was from a town called Tarsus, which is in the province of Cilicia. When you look at history, you find that, among other things, that neighborhood of the world in Turkey was actually known for goat farming. 
These goats were actually a very important resource because they would take the hair from these goats, they would weave it into cloth, and they would use this cloth to make tents. So Paul, being born in Tarsus, was born into a town where a lot of people made tents. It's probably very reasonable to think that he knew a lot of tent makers, and as he was growing up, he probably hung around with them, he probably studied with them, he learned how to do this. Very similar to how if you grew up in Silicon Valley, you're surrounded by a whole bunch of tech companies, you're surrounded by a whole bunch of startups like that, and chances are your first job, your first internship was with a tech company. So that would almost be like the business you're kind of born into. Or maybe for some of us here, we have family members that have a certain business or have a certain profession. I know for me, it's kind of not really that far-fetched a thing for me to go into law enforcement because I have a number of relatives who were law enforcement in one way, shape, or form. So maybe this rings a little bit true to us. Maybe this strikes a chord. Hmm, maybe the reason why I'm, I find myself in this is just because of social factors, just where I grew up and who I grew up around. But let's see, who el what else do we know about Paul? We know that he was a Pharisee. We know that he was a very wise and very learned religious leader. But did you know that just because you were a Pharisee, that did not mean that you didn't have to go out and get a job? See, most people think religious leader, they think Pharisees and Sadducees, they think people that worked at the temple. But the priests were the ones that worked at the temple. They were the ones that had their source of income and sustenance from the temple. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were religious kind of political parties. So it's actually more likely that you would think of them as like Republicans or Democrats. Believe me, I'm just gonna touch on that just very briefly and I'm not gonna go into any kind of politics with that. Don't worry about that. But just like that, just because you are a member of a political party, whether it's Republican, Democrat, Sadducee, or Pharisee, you still had to go out and you still had to get yourself a job. So Paul, despite being a Pharisee, would fall back on making tents very regularly in order to support himself. And to throw one last thing out there about Paul, when he was on his missionary journeys, when he was going out and preaching the gospel, he was actually very selective of who he would take support from. We see in this passage that he's living in the city of Corinth. How many of you guys, when you listen to podcasts or when you listen to YouTube, you hear the host say, hey, support me on Patreon, right? That's actually a very ancient idea that comes from this city. There were patrons that would pay to support people that had talents, that whether it was they were great speakers or great craftsmen or great, you know, whatever. But when you were a patron, you got a little bit of glory. You got a little bit of honor. Like, this is my guy. This is the person that I support. Paul didn't want to give any kind of glory to people like that. He only wanted to give glory to God. So he finds himself needing to fall back on his job as a tent maker. And that's where we pick up in this passage where he meets Priscilla and Aquila. But we don't think of Paul as the great tent maker of Christianity, right? That's not why we know him primarily. In fact, I'm willing to bet that before today, probably very few of you knew him as a tent maker. We know him as the apostle to the Gentiles. We know him as the author of so many of the letters and books in the Bible. And we see when he gets into relationship with Priscilla and Aquila, this is what he's actually doing. He's working with them, yes, as a job, as a tent maker, but he starts to build a relationship with them. And as he's building that relationship with them, not only is he preaching the gospel in the synagogues, but he's also preaching it to them. And we don't see it so much in this one, but as I said, we don't get the full context of the Bible just from little things. We need to look at the larger context of it, just the same way you can't get the entirety of Harry Potter just from the meme, you're a wizard, Harry. You have to look at the whole thing. So let's go to the, to the next part of this, if we would. And in verse 18, it says, Paul stayed in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. So these two people that he's in relationship with, they're willing to pick up their tent making business and they're willing to go with him to sail to Syria. Now, let me ask you guys something. 
for all of you guys that are really good at your job, how many of you would be able to go to one of your coworkers, one of your best coworkers, and say, you know what? Let's go on a mission trip to Africa tomorrow. You're, you're with me on this, right? Because we work so well together, right? Not many people are going to join you on that. So there's definitely more than just a tent making business going on here. And that's why we go to Romans 16, starting in verse 3. This is towards the end of the letter when um, Paul is talking about all the people that are with him. And he's sending greetings to all the different churches and saying, hey, this one says hello, this one says hello. And make sure you say hello to that one for me. And he says in verse 3, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets in their house. So from this, we see that it wasn't just a normal relationship between co-workers. It wasn't just a bunch of tent makers working together, but there was a deeper relationship. In the midst of working his job, Paul was also living his calling and preaching the gospel to Priscilla and Aquila, and it made a difference in their life. It started out in a very normal, very mundane sort of way, working together, but it grew because he lived his calling where he was working. And I know for me personally, it's also happened very often that I start to work with people. I've worked with you know, people in a couple of the different boroughs, and the relationship starts out very simple. Somebody I work with, somebody I talk with during at work, somebody I talk hockey with during work. But then slowly the relationship begins to build because I know I'm not there just for the purpose of working, but I'm there for a purpose of representing Christ. And I find those ways to turn the conversation, to build the conversation, towards Christ. And it's not just me. There are a lot of people in this church, in this room, that have done very similar things. As I was writing this, I realized that I tend to use a lot of stories from people inside the community as examples. And I find that I do that for a very particular purpose, because it's one thing to come up here and say, well, this has been my experience, or this is my theory and you know, what God is doing, and this is what God is doing in the lives of people somewhere out there beneath the pale moonlight. And it's different to say, this is what's going on in this person's life, someone that you know, so that you can actually go to them and say, hey, is this really what happened? And they can say, yeah, and it's an even better story than Stu told it because he's not getting the full picture there. So let me tell a little bit of story, and I'm going to tell a story about Andrew Lee and Anthony Corvinelli. Um, Anthony's my Rangers buddy. I got to tell stories about him. Anyway, uh, so Andrew, we know him. He's a doctor here, and he's had the opportunity to speak a lot to um, medical students and to young medical professionals. And when I was talking with him yesterday, um, about these, these talks that he gives, he said that one of the things he tries to do is he tries to differentiate things between a career and a calling. He said, a career is a career, but that's different than a calling. And that he tries to warn them, don't get satisfied or don't try to be satisfied or find all your hope just in this career because you will burn out you will end up being disappointed. And again, in talking with him, I asked him about his calling, and he said that his calling is to love God with his full heart, wholeheartedly. That's a very, very awesome calling for him to live, and, it, and it's very tender. But he does share that as well with those people that he speaks to. He shares it with those medical students so that hopefully, they realize that they won't find satisfaction and hope and calling in their career, but they can find it in Christ, that they can find something more, something long-lasting in Christ, instead of just a career, a real calling. Anthony, he works down at uh, Scholastic, not too far from here, so he picks up on all of my Harry Potter references and you know gives me a little bit of uh, encouragement for those. But um, before he started coming here to 180 Church, there were actually a couple of other church members here that were working down at Scholastic at the time. And most of them have moved on to different things. That was just a job for them. That wasn't their, 
you know, lifelong career or anything like that. But while they were there, they used that connection time. They used that time around Anthony to talk with him, to invite him, some a little bit more aggressively than others. And it did lead to him accepting the invitation, coming out to church, becoming part of the community. And I know from having talked with him and having known him for many years now, the effect of that, of him becoming, in his own words, reinvested in his faith, it has been a blessing, both to him and to the people that know him. It is for the people that worked at Scholastic. It was them using their job, living their calling, and kind of paying it forward to bring the gospel to someone else. That's the difference between a career and a calling, between a position and purpose. And this is my point, if we can go up here. Your job is not a calling. It's just a place where you can live your calling. God is not calling you to a job for the sake of that job. And on that note, I also want to say that God is not calling you to a school for the sake of that school, because I know a lot of people get invested in that as well. Wherever we find ourselves, whatever job, whatever school, whether it's on the basketball court, whether it's at a game table, whether it's at a diner, God can and will use you. Those are the opportunities that we have to live our calling, to make disciples of all nations, to love God with our whole heart and love our neighbor as ourselves by inviting them to God's house, to come and see and experience a life in Christ. And maybe for some of you guys that have put a lot of investment into your jobs and into your careers and you feel like that's your calling, I want to burst your bubble a little bit. And this may sound harsh, but I have a reason for saying it. You will not make as much of an impact in people's lives through your job as you will through inviting someone into a journey with Christ. When you invite someone into a journey with Christ, that is something that will have eternal significance. That is something that will live on not only in you, not only the effect that it will have in your own life, but the effect that it will have in someone else's life. That will mean more in the grand scheme of things than anything you do in your career, whether you're a doctor, whether you're a lawyer, whether you're a business person, whether you're an officer. What we do in faith, what we do in our calling, in bringing people to faith in Christ has eternal significance. That's the difference between a position and a purpose. That's the difference between a career and a calling. So my question for you guys today is, have you gotten the wires kind of crossed on that? Have you made your career your calling? Are you open to listening to what God is saying, to where he is actually calling you, what he is truly calling you to do in representing him, whether it's in your work, whether it's in your school, whether it's to your friends and family, those places where he is calling you to represent him and not just live in a job. So that maybe instead of using our job as our calling, we can use our job for our calling. And like I said, this is something that can have eternal significance, something that will last a lifetime and beyond your lifetime. And I want to go down to the next passage to talk a little bit about that. So here we are a little bit later in um, Acts chapter 18. And I'm just going to read through this, starting with um, verse 24. And actually, before I read that, just a little bit of setup. This is after Paul and Aquila and Priscilla have left Corinth. They've sailed to Ephesus. And now Paul is continuing on his journey. He sailed from Ephesus to the next stop in his missionary journey. But Priscilla and Aquila, they're staying behind. They're continuing the work there. And so here we go with verse 24. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man, 
with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Acacia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed, for he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. So at this point, with Aquila and Priscilla living in Ephesus, they are continuing the call that Paul had, that they had now received, being his co-workers in Christ. They are now the ones that are bringing the gospel, bringing the good news to all that they would meet. And they come upon this man, Apollos, who is just already on fire for Jesus, but he doesn't have the full story. He doesn't have a full I don't even know how to properly describe it in just a few words, but he's missing a piece. That's what it means when it says, though he only knew the baptism of John. It was just the water baptism that John did that he knew about. He didn't know about the fullness of the Spirit and the, the coming of the Holy Spirit on the apostles and everything to do with that. He was missing a piece of the picture, and Aquila and Priscilla helped him. They taught him. They instructed him on this and they helped him live the fullness in Christ. And from there, he continued on to other places. And again, just as he was doing, but now was even more equipped to do so, he was refuting those who were saying this Jesus guy is a sham. He was proving to them that Jesus was the Messiah. And they didn't just stop with Apollos. Again, when we go to other portions of scripture, we see that Aquila and Priscilla regularly had a church that met in their house. They risked their lives for the gospel. They continued to pay it forward, to live their calling, to bring the gospel to others so that they could engage in the gospel, so that they could live in the good news, so that they could have a relationship with Christ. I'm going to tell another story to, again, show that this is something that goes on even today. When we receive the gospel, it's paid forward, and it goes forward to the next person, and it has that eternal significance. And oddly enough, we're going to go to another one of our doctors, Dr. Janice Liu. And I swear I didn't pick the doctors because I want all of us to be doctors here or anything like that. It just happened to work out that way. And actually, it kind of works out because all of them said, yeah, being a doctor, that's not the calling. The calling is something bigger than that. So Janice, when she went to med school, she went to SUNY Stony Brook. And she was actually about a week away from going to a different school because Stony Brook decided that they didn't want to call her for some reason, and she had to kind of track them down a little bit. But she felt God calling her to Stony Brook. And this is going back to what I said earlier. Sometimes God will call you to a place not specifically for the purpose of that place, but he will call you to a place. And sometimes you are going to have to put the work in to answer that call. And good Lord, did Janice have to put the work in for that call? Two hours from Stony Brook to Manhattan for small group, and then two hours back. Two hours from Stony Brook to Manhattan for Sunday service every week, and then two hours back. And she did it every single week. She put that work in. And God, in her own words, about two years into it, God gave her a buddy. Somebody that we have talked about a lot lately, and unfortunately he's not here. X, I hope you're feeling much better soon. Uh, X was someone that she reached out to while she was at Stony Brook. And it took a little while, but eventually he did come to a church Thanksgiving, and eventually he became part of the community and gave his life to Christ. And when I was talking with Janice yesterday, she said that they were joking back and forth that maybe God didn't call Janice to Stony Brook for med school, but called her there so that she could help win him over for Christ. And I 100% believe that. 
It's not for a position, but it's for a purpose. And with all of these people that I've talked about today, Andrew, Anthony, Janice, X, not to put any pressure on any of you guys, but I'm sure they're not finished. I am sure that there will be other people that through their life they will reach out to, that they will win over for the gospel, that they will have that eternal significance in another person's life by winning them over into God's house. That's what it means to live a calling rather than just a career, to live a purpose rather than just go for a position. And this is my next point that I think we can take away from this. Living your call helps others hear their call and can win a new generation for Christ. It may be where God is placing you, you're going to make a small day-to-day -day difference for him. But there will also be times when you make a big difference, when you make honestly one of the ultimate differences by influencing someone to give their life to Christ. And that is something that will help them realize their call, realize how loved they are by Christ and how Christ is calling them to show that to the next person, to call another person into God's house. That is the call that all of us have. So for, for this week, what I want to ask you guys, do you see how your call can have that long-lasting influence on others? Are you a little bit intimidated by it? Are you a little bit, I don't think that can actually happen. I invite you to listen to the stories of people who have come here, who have realized their call, realized their relationship with Christ, and brought that to the next person, and seen how it goes from one person to the next, to the next. Just as Paul had a very mundane tent-making relationship with Aquila and Priscilla that developed into a gospel-centered relationship where he was living his calling with them, so that they would become his co-workers in Christ. And then they would in turn have other co-workers in Christ. Maybe God is calling you to find that next co-worker in Christ, calling you to help lead them into their relationship with Christ, and they will lead someone else. Again, that's the difference between career and calling, between a position and a purpose. So if you guys would rise with me, let's pray for this today. Father, I thank you that you call us to more than just a simple job, more than just a school, more than just positions and careers, but you call us to a purpose to win others over into your house, to help welcome the lost home. I pray, God, that you would give us the wisdom and the courage to know the places and the people that you are calling us to. I pray, God, that you would give us the strength to endure whatever hardship, whatever difficulty in living that call, and that you would show us the eternal significance that comes from winning someone over and welcoming them home into your house. In Jesus' name we pray. In 1984, Jarzef Pelican, a Yale historian, drew a thousand people who packed out law school, the auditorium at Yale, throughout the semester every week. One of the most notable quotes from Pelican's uh, Jesus lectures appeared in the New York Times. And this is what was reported. Regardless of what anyone may personally think or believe about him, Jesus of Nazareth has been the dominant figure in the history of Western culture for almost 20 centuries. If it, is, if it were possible with some sort of super magnet to pull out of history every scrap of metal bearing at least a trace of his name, how much would be left? 
Times reported this. And I remember when I was at Yale, at my fellowship, walking across the auditorium and imagining that library where, that auditorium where presidents and heads of state attended. And this Nazarene, this Palestinian Jew, Jewish rabbi, de definitely Democrat, by the way. Sadducees would be Republicans. They were rich ones. Um, and yet, after 2,000 years of his death and supposed resurrection, people are packing the most renowned law school in the world to hear about from an historian, just from a historical perspective, who he is. And his analogy is a super magnet, and that's the call of Western history. Whether you want to ignore it or whether you're already answer that call, Ando Domini in the ear of our Lord, this man, his words and his life is still haunting the history of the world. In comparison to the most famous historical figure in Jesus' life, Augustus Caesar, now we use his name for salad dressing or for a pizza, a pizza outlet, which I, I find very good sometimes. But Jesus, as the Lord of Lords, and we name those who answered that call from Jesus 2,000 years ago, the name after our kids, and the emperors of Rome after our gods. If you could make up history, that's not something we could control. Something happened in the Middle East, in Asia Minor, that radically changed history. And it imprints. It is a super magnet that we can't resist. So the call for the seeker is not to come and believe, oh yeah, because the propaganda and the failures of the church are all true. That cacophony right there, like it's true, right? It's prophetic. We've done many things that are questionable. We have leaders that have done questionable things recently. So the call of Jesus is to explore for the seeker. To explore. Tell someone next to you to explore. The historicity of Jesus Christ and his message. It's not to believe it because Jesus never says, even to his disciples, come and believe. He says what? Come and see. And the disciples, for about a three and a half year journey, still doubted. And even on the day of the resurrection, said the women that saw the resurrection were nuts. So doubt is part of the process. So the seeker, it's about investigating and exploring the historicity and the veracity of Jesus himself in history. For the believer, it's carrying on the tradition of that call of Jesus that's what I call in my book of holy haunting, to reconcile it as the voice of Jesus calling in Sarah Young, the most sold book in the last five years, Jesus called. Outsold Fifty Shades of Grey. Even beats biological calling, which is pretty strong. So today, we want to contemplate who Jesus is in history as for the seeker and for the believer. The amazement that even after 2,000 years, he is the central figure of history. And when we focus on that, something powerful happens. We have to grapple with, with the reality. If he really is the Son of God, as the Jewish Torah says and prophesizes, or he's just a teacher or a crazy dude. 
that tension is necessary and that tension is healthy. So for the seeker, come and see. For the believer, come and think. The reality of Jesus, the power of Jesus today. So will you lift your hands with me today as we contemplate who Jesus is in history and see if you've answered that call in your own life. Or if you are hearing and following his call for your life right now. So let's make this our prayer today. I yearn for you. As we close today, I reflected my own journey of faith and doubt. I say in my book that I doubted God's existence multiple times in my early 20s, but never doubted my call. And you're like, well, how's that even possible? I have no idea. That's why I call it the holy haunting. It, the, the great haunter does not leave me alone. And many people in our church, the founding members and the founding families, all wanted to stop following Jesus too. But the haunter would not let them. Someone said to me recently, yeah, I try to leave this church multiple times. Never works. How many people try to leave the church? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> I try to leave the church. But this visceral haunting from the great haunter himself, the one that called those first disciples to him is still calling. He did it on a boat back then. He does it on a plane now or at the university or at Starbucks or in front of the TV or when you're reading a book. I know a lot of people think that the Bible fell from heaven, but it did not. It's a, actually an innovative invention called the printing press it would be equivalent to TV today. So actually a lot of people in the first century heard it orally, and then in the 1500s, in the Reformation and all that, 
they saw it through the medium of literature. Their influencers reaching them at that time. It was like TikTok. The Bible's like TikTok. My son was like, you got to get a TikTok, Dad. Instagram is dead. I'm like, really? He goes, anyone has Facebook is so is a loser. And I was like, I need to cancel my account. Today, as we close, whether you're a seeker or whether you're a believer, let me just tell you one thing in my own journey of faith. Whatever you do, the life, the death, and supposedly the rise of Jesus, it's an amazing journey. Will you bow your heads for the benediction today as we close out this invitation? May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. All God's people pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a great fall Sunday. So glad to see you all here. My name is Haley, and I'm a member here at 180 Church, and I will be sharing some community news with you. First off, let's talk about tithes and offering. If you're a member here at 180 Church, we ask that you continue to keep God at the center of your finances and to tithe faithfully, which you can do using Venmo, Zelle, Chase QuickPay, or PayPal. If you're a visitor here with us today, we welcome you to our service and there's no financial obligation to give. But if you'd like to make a donation, you can do so with the methods above. Next, we have Bible Reading Group. We have an Instagram handle and a Tumblr page at 180BRG where you can join us at any time to read the Bible. Feel free to follow along and feed your soul with the Word of God. Next, there are devotionals on sale at the 180 Cafe. They're great to help you get in the habit of praying and connecting with God every day. Sometimes I find it hard to find, form the words to pray, but these devotionals have been so helpful and inspirational. They're available at the 180 Cafe and it's an honor system. So you can purchase them via Venmo or QuickPay. Speaking of prayers, we have our prayer hotline. We invite you to use this resource to ask for prayer for anything or anyone in your life, and it's completely confidential. You can text 5397PRAYER or email prayer at 180church.tv and know that there will be a team praying for you on the other end. Prayers are so powerful, and I can't tell you how many times my prayers were heard and answered. So I want to encourage you to get out there and pray and ask for prayer for where two or three are gathered in his name god is with them yes so let's talk about social media there these are the ways you can stay connected with us throughout the week we have several media outlets from facebook to instagram to dr sammy's twitter page and even our youtube page we are very active on social media and there are multiple ways to share the message with your friends and family and also stay connected in the community Let's not forget about our YouTube live stream. We know that things pop up and it's not always possible to physically attend Sunday service, but not to worry because Sunday service is being live streamed weekly on YouTube, so you never have to miss another service. So say hello to the YouTube viewers. Hello. And it's also a great way to share the gospel with friends and family. Next up is small groups. Small groups are a great way to process what you heard on Sundays with brothers and sisters along the journey of faith. We know that no one is meant to do faith alone, and small groups have been an amazing way to know that we are in this together. It's also a great way to um, get to know each other, grow deeper in, with, in relationship with each other, and reflect and apply sermons to our daily lives. And honestly, it's so much fun. I look forward to it every week to meet with the group and you know, we just have fun doing life together. So that's great. Um, adult groups meet on Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Young adult groups meet on Thursdays at 7.30 p.m. 
College Fellowship meets on Mondays at 7.30, and if you need any additional info, please speak to any of the greeters in 180 shirts or hoodies. Now, this is the exciting one. Are you, are you guys ready? Okay, I, I want to introduce 180 merch, okay? I know, you've been all waiting for this. It's not exclusive anymore. You can purchase your 180 merch at the 180 Cafe. There's a variety of tops in different fabulous colors, all donning the stylish 180 um, emblem and other cool designs. Like some of them have like cool designs on the back. Not mine, but others. Um, so you can get one of those. Uh, after service, you can head straight to the 180 Cafe to purchase your new 180 shirt, hoodie, or sweatshirt. And they can be purchased with the same honor system as the devotionals. If you have any questions, you can speak to our merch designer, Andy, wherever he is. Oh, he's in the back. There he is. Um, and he can help you. And I can't wait to twin with all of you once you purchase your merch. Okay, next we have Day in the Sun. Our next Day in the Sun will be on May 15th at 12.30 p.m. We will be meeting at the East Pintum in Central Park. So be on the lookout for an email to RSVP. Let's pray for beautiful May weather and an awesome time of fellowship. Also, let's start thinking about the people in our lives who we can invite and share the good news with. Uh, now, for those of you with the heart to serve or feel like you're being led to serve, we have children's ministry. We need volunteers to serve, love, and teach our church's youngest members. They are really doing meaningful and soul-filling work there. My children are learning that they are God's treasures like I told you last time. And also my daughter always gets super excited for Sunday school. She says, oh, she loves Sunday school. So they're having a good time there. Um, they are building relationships and growing up in this community feeling loved and known. And that's really special. So if you want to be friends with our community's littlest members and be loved by me and other parents, go see Michelle Kim or Pastor Lydia for more details. Next, we have cafe volunteers. Coffee brings me so much joy, and I know it brings you guys joy too. So you can share some joy by serving up a cup of coffee before service. No barista skills are required. So if you want to serve or impress people with your latte art, please see Danny O or Wendy Lee for more details. And lastly, we have greeting volunteers. Who doesn't love a friendly face when they walk in? I know everybody does. And if you want to be that friendly face that brings smiles and makes people feel welcomed, this is for you. If you're interested, please see Danny O or Wendy Lee for more details. Now, those are all of our announcements we have today.